Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, as I prep for sermon series and teaching and all that, of course, I know uh, Christmas is going to come around every year. And so I actually have like a list of like five Christmas series that I'm ready to do. So like the next five years of, of Christmas topics uh, and whatnot, um, I've got excited about over the, the next little bit. Um, but this year, um, it was on my heart for us uh, to be real intentional um, this year. And the title of this series we're going to be in over the next five weeks is called Choosing Christmas. Uh, because so much of the time, it can feel like that Christmas is something that just happens to us. Um, it's not really a choice uh, that you make. It's just that it's on the calendar. It comes along. It's part of our culture. Um, that it is just this train on these tracks. It is unstoppable. It will show up. And you're just going to have to figure out how to deal with Christmas the best way you possibly can. And the truth is, is for us as the children of God, that's not the way that Christmas should be. But since it is annual, since it is unrelenting, since it is this cultural juggernaut that just comes at us, well, then you and I have to make sure we engage with it purposefully that we actually choose Christmas, that then Christmas isn't something that happens to us, but we actually choose it. We actually choose to celebrate the gift of the Savior. We actually choose to dial in to what it, it means that, that Jesus was sent and what it meant for the people who lived that story out in real time and what we can learn and carry forward in our lives. So if you've got your bulletin, you got your Bible app, however it is you're going to track along with us, that we're leading off with this idea that the first Christmas teaches us that we can trust God in every season. I love that here, especially in, in, for us as believers, um, we have the saying of that Jesus is the reason for the season. And the season is Christmas. And so, um, you know, it happens early in our winter time. So everything is just kind of, when Christmas hits, we're just kind of shifting out of fall. Here in San Angelo, you know, um, you know, you could be barbecuing and, you know, you know, and just chilling outside or, or you could be bundled up by the fire. We just never know um, what kind of Christmas we're going to have. But we do know that it is right there on the cusp of our winter season. And it was even embracing Jesus as the reason for the season just even kind of feels like this, you know, some, we've got winters coming in and, and things, are, things are shifting. And, and, but Christmas shouldn't be just about that season, that five or six week long period of time. Um, it should be a reminder that we can trust God in every season. That if God could be trusted in that space where we see in that, in the, at the very first Christmas, if he can be trusted there, he can be trusted everywhere. And so um, we need to make sure that we get into that. But the reason that we get kind of freaked out about trusting God in each season is because um, as we step into a new season, 
they're new experiences. As we are wrapping up, like, I mean, as soon as Christmas is over, everybody begins to shift into the New Year drive, okay? And then, you know, if you're still at the place in life where you haven't given up on kind of New Year's goals and New Year's resolutions, well, then you're like, you know what? 2023 is going to be my year, you know? And you get all excited about wanting to do new things, and nobody goes into a new year saying, you know what, I hope to just have a bunch of the same experiences I've always had. That's my goal. I just want a bunch of things I've already experienced. Like, nope, 2023 is going to be a new year. It's going to be a new season in my life. I want to be able to step into things and do things I've never done. And the Spirit of God is usually stirring you to step into new things, things you've never done before. Here's the problem with things you've never done before. You've never done them before. So they're freaky. They're new experiences. You're not quite sure if you know how to handle it. So this is what happens to us. We get excited. We want a new season in life, a new experience. It has its own anxieties. And we go back to the familiar. We pull back into the familiar patterns, the familiar routines, the familiar things. Why? Because even though they may not be exactly what we want, we're familiar with them. And, we do, and that's what keeps us from moving forward. God wants to take us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. He wants to move us forward into new and exciting chapters in our lives. And we keep reliving the same chapters over and over again because we know them. There's actually a study out that says that, uh, that there's, where there's such a high level of anxiety in our culture that so many people re-watch the same television shows over and over and over again. I'm not going to ask how many of you have seen all of Friends more than three times, but I know it's high. There's a lot of you have. Or The Office more than seven times. And so... Uh, but there's a bunch, of, a bunch of you who just, you know, you just watch the same show. And they say that the reason people do that is because it, there's a low anxiety associated with it. You already know how it's going to go. You know how it is. You know you've enjoyed it. And so you go back to a previously enjoyed experience instead of selecting such of all of the wonderful opportunities that exist on all the streaming services. Um, and so we go back to things we already, we already know. And um, I was reminded of this when thinking about um, Cutie and I for the first eight and a half years of our ministry together. And we did youth ministry. And youth ministry is a ton of fun. I love it. Still doing some youth ministry here to, to this very day. Love it. And, uh, but... With youth ministry, you get the opportunity to go to camp. Uh, and so we got to take lots and lots of young people to camp. And then one season of our youth ministry life, um, we actually had like a, a, the church had a small fleet of old school buses. So we had five or six old school buses and we would actually go pick teenagers up, just go to their house, go to their apartment complexes, just go out where they live, grab them, bring them back in, have youth, and then take them back home. And so we take a, and some of you may have been on that. I may have actually driven a bus when you were young and picked you up. And so when 
it came camp time, there was a bunch of those who had never like gone out and been out in the country, done a camp type experience. And so there was a whole new experience. The whole thing was new. Well, on this one particular year, we took a group from, from here in Angelo and took them out to East Texas, took them to Columbus, Texas, out towards Houston. Um, well, of course, that area, um, you know, if, if it's not been knocked down and cleared on purpose, um, there's just trees just growing up everywhere, big old oak trees, and, and it's just beautiful and green all the time. And we this camp is on 500 acres, and we take them out there, and if it's not been cleared, it's covered in big old oak, like, like thicket. And so this one night, these eight young men decided that they wanted to sneak out and go have some fun. But they were eight young men who had never been in the country before. So they wait till it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, allow their youth leaders to go to sleep. The youth leaders are asleep and they sneak out and they're gone. And at some point, somebody wakes up, finds out they're gone and start looking for them. They look for them for a while and then they come find me. Well, this is on my watch. These, these moms and dads, they trusted me. A bunch of them didn't even come to the church. They just trusted me to take their kid out of town. And I'm like, I don't even know where they are. They've just, they've, they have, they're somewhere out here in this big old cow pasture forest thing. And so I was a little freaked out. Well, here was what worked to my advantage is they had never been out in that space before. So the dark in the woods scared them to death. And so they snuck out, wanted freedom, wanted to go have fun, but they would not leave the the lighted areas. So they were there at camp and all they had done is they had just snuck out of the inside of the building. They would not leave the perimeter of the outside of the buildings. And so, and they were just there moving around, just trying to avoid capture. And so it was not hard to be able for us to finally round them up and get them. And so they had done all the hard work of planning, of waiting, of acting like they were asleep, of sneaking out, and finally got out to enjoy whatever it was that they had planned on enjoying. And their fear of the new experience that they wanted so much held them back. They got the same punishment. They got the, they got the same chewing out. They got the, all, all of the same stuff. They still, but they didn't get to enjoy any of the whole reason because as soon as they step into this new experience, they are locked down by fear of the new experience. As we look at the first Christmas, we see that first Christmas is faced with that. Mary is called, Joseph is called into this amazing experience. It was going to be wonderful and prophesied that it was going to be wonderful, but it was an intimidating space. In fact, let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And here in Luke 1, 26, we see it says, Now, in the, sixth, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Make a mental note, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice. That's a good word, right? If someone's just show up to you and just randomly say, rejoice, you wouldn't like 
freak out, right? You wouldn't be like, oh my God, get back from me. Take that back. Can't believe you said that to me. No, rejoice is a good thing. Have joy. Be excited. That is a good word. It's a good word, okay? Highly favored one. You're one who has a lot of favor. Things that people are going to align to make sure your good is lived out. Highly favored. Second thing out of the angel's mouth, good. It is all good. The Lord is with you. That is good. Who doesn't want to hear that the God of creation is with them, is on their side? Third thing is good. Blessed are you among women. Good. Just four good things right out of the box. All was good. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. Now, did he say anything that was troubling? Oh, man, that rejoicing. I don't know if I want anything to do with that. Was being favored by God or being, God being with me, I, being favored, being, having all of this, that, is this really what I want? No, all of that was good. Why is she troubled at his saying? Because he's an angel talking to her. That is a freaky experience. It is a new experience. This is, he is declaring what heaven has to say. We would all want heaven to say this to us. We would all want heaven to say to us to rejoice. We would all want heaven to remind us that God is with us. We would all want to hear these things. But the problem is all of a sudden now when she's having this wonderful experience, it's a new experience. And so she simply finds it troubling. Here is this lie that seeps in the back of our minds. That somehow the, the troubling, could have also said that she was anxious at his words, that the anxiety that kind of comes at us. There's this lie that comes in and says that if, if, if all of a sudden, if good, if God brought good things to me, God wanted me to go forth in something new and exciting, there's nothing about the virgin birth that even been brought up yet. It's this is only good. That if God brought good into my life, then man, I would just be excited about it and there would be no anxiety at all. The, the anxiety I deal with is because of just all the mess in my life. No, here's good being decreed in her life and she still finds it troubling. Why? Because it's a new experience. It's something she's never done before. It's freaky. It's new ground. It's God. It's an angel. It's amazing things being declared about her, but still in the middle of that, she found it being pulled back. Here's the thing. is so many times we think, man, if, that if I, my next step forward in God, I'm going to have no problems with it. If it's really God, I'm going to have no problems with it. That's a lie. Why? Because if, if it's God, it's going to be so big, you're going to go, how on earth is going to this happen? How can I actually live this? You've got the wrong person. That's all amazing. It's just not for me. And we're going to pull back and find it troubling. This is another reason why we keep going around the same loops and doing the same things in the same ruts. Because when we're finally faced with something amazing that God wants to do, we still find it troubling. And guess what? 
Mary, we know the story. She moves forward. She steps into her calling and destiny. She does it. So just because you initially find what God is wanting to do in your life and take you on another step, you find it troubling, doesn't mean you've already lost. Deal with the troubling moment at the beautiful promise of what God is saying. Sometimes the, the, what God, the promises of God can be so big, they're intimidating. To the human mind, they're intimidating. And Mary is facing that right there. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this is. Folks choosing to trust God in the face of the humanly impossible is one of the core things we have to to learn to do. We are never going to be able to step forward in everything God has for us if we don't learn to trust him in the face of the humanly impossible. Now, of course, what we're about to get into is biologically impossible. The virgin birth, biologically impossible. But guess what? You and I face things that when we analyze them that are way less on the miracle level than the virgin birth. And we feel like they're humanly impossible. When it feels humanly impossible, you're dealing with the exact same set of emotions as if it's actually biologically impossible. And if God has spoken and we begin to pull back, we're facing the exact same thing. So we have to learn to trust God in what seems actually impossible. Let's look what is said in verse 30. It says, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid. He knows he's not said anything that will induce fear, yet she is being afraid. The rejoicing, the God's with you, that you're favored, all of these different things, none of those are fear-inducing. Yet the new experience is fear-inducing. And so the angel reminds her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It's two times, two times now that we've heard the word favor, that God looks upon you and the lens he's looking at is with favor. It's with favor. Mary, look through God's lens. He has bent his heart in your direction. And now in verse 31, now in verse 31, she finds out the big, the big freaky thing. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. The throne of his father, David. Who was part of the lineage of David? In this passage, we see Joseph is. In another genealogy, we see Mary as a daughter of David. Now, it's not freaky it's way, way back, folks. Lots of generations. And then verse 33, it says, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I did not know a man? Well, we know from this passage of Scripture, she already knows a guy named Joseph, and so she's, but she's engaged to him. 
Well, of course, we're thankful that, God, that the Bible uses this kind of language so we can read this to our children um, at Christmas time. And so, because she knows a man, but she don't know a man. And so she's like, I, haven't, I don't know anybody like that. And so she has not stepped into that phase of her life. And so, and that is a legitimate question. Said, you, you've made this promise. And from my understanding, this literally, it, it, can't, it can't work. But in that, as she's facing that, she is reminded that she has been favored two times. She's been reminded that she's been favored two times. Now, it's sad that it's this time of the year when we really look at this one passage of Scripture. I, I know I don't preach on it in the, like in July, and maybe I should. Um, but for whatever reason, this is the only time this very significant passage of Scripture comes up is at Christmas time. And of course, it's one of the, those references is when the, uh, the angels show up to decree to the shepherds who are watching their flocks by night that, that, that Jesus had just been born. And they begin to sing and they begin to declare and they say, peace on earth, on men on whom God's favor rests. Or his favor rests. It's not that his favor has been temporarily granted. It's not that it's just shown up for a minute. My, my iPad, my notes are resting on that stand. They're not kind of whooshing around and then perching for a second and then going. No, they're just, they're just resting there. They're just fully there. It says that when Jesus shows up, the angels say, guess what? There's peace on earth towards men on whom God's favor rests. It's all of humanity that God's favor rests. When Jesus begins his ministry, 30 years after this moment, he goes into the temple, he grabs the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he begins to undo it and he begins to unroll it. And he goes past Isaiah 1, past Isaiah 7 that we're going to read in a minute, past Isaiah 10, gets to Isaiah 61 and reads Isaiah 61 very intently, which says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me for this whole list of things. And one of those list of things is to decree the year of God's favor, that God's favor has shown up. When Jesus is born, the angels decree that God's favor has rested on men. When Jesus starts his ministry, he says, part of my job is to remind people that, God, that my heavenly father's favor rests on them. We forget, we back up, we don't go into the new experiences God has for us because we forget we're favored. Mary had to be reminded two times that she was favored before she would step into it. Well, guess what? The Bible's told you two times that you're favored that because you're part of the human race. And all of a sudden here with the shepherds, that God's favor rests there when Jesus starts his ministry that he's been anointed to decree this time of favor. Now, I'm a dad and I like dad jokes. You're just gonna have to not groan too hard at this. And so, but I think it'll help you. 
that when, um, think about the people of Israel, we read in the scriptures, they're called Israelites, right? Then you read in the Old Testament and you see this land of Moab and, and the people that live there, the people of Moab are Moabites. And then the people of Ammon are Ammonites, where you and I have been decreed people of favor. So we are favorites. I said not to groan too much. But you forget you're a favorite. You're a favorite. And you forget that the reason God is prompting you into new experiences to step into new ground, that yes, where you've been, you've arrived there by grace, but he wants to take you to a new place of grace. And that he's doing that because he favors you. You're a favorite. He wants, to, he wants to bless your life and carry you forward. Not that there's not challenges, not that there's not difficulties, not that there's not obstacles in the route, not that it's, some of that may seem absolutely impossible to you. But you know what trumps humanly impossible? God's favor. God's favor trumps humanly impossible. And that is what the angel is trying to tell. And you and I, we forget we're favored. We forget that that's the whole reason that Jesus came. See, the angel had heaven's perspective. And sometimes, just from where we stand, we just can't get it. Um, yesterday was our youngest daughter, uh, Pressy's uh, ninth birthday. So she had a fun little birthday, still has more birthday in to do in the future with party. And, and um, so, but she uh, turned nine. Um, well, years ago, she was five. Uh, we were at Shannon Hospital visiting somebody, and we were there. And of course, um, you know, she wanted to be able to go on the, the concourse and be able to go on there and walk on that bridge that goes over the street and get out there, look through that glass bridge and see all the, the cars driving underneath and you know, a five-year-old, she just, she just loved that. So we go out there, and we're doing that. And then, you know, you see the parking lot from out there. So sure enough, I saw our car. And so I was like, hey, Pressy, there, there's, there's our car. And she's like, where? And so I lined up. I said, right between those two trees, Pressy. You look right between those two trees, there's our car. And she's just like, I don't see it. I'm like, Pressy, open your eyes. You see those two trees? Yes. Okay, just, just look right between those two trees and you'll see our car. And she's just blank faced. And I'm just like, what is going on? So finally, I just took a knee and I got down on her level and put my eyes where her eyes were. And sure enough, those two trees had come together and had created a space where it blocked the car. She literally, from her perspective, she just couldn't see it. I saw something totally different than what she saw. And what we see here with Mary is she gets to a place where she is willing to go. I get that you see something I don't get. That just because I don't get it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And begin to trust her heavenly father in a space. Says, You're at a place that only you can see that. And if you say it's there, if you say this is the way this is going to go, then that's the way it's going to go. And that's what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. Mary says, this seems impossible, but you say it and we're going to move forward with it. In fact, the angel of the Lord, when he was talking to Joseph, 
had reminded them of something that they should not have been 100% surprised by this virgin birth thing. I mean, I get it. It's surprising. It's surprising. But they in particular, both of the house of David, of Israel, they, they should not have been totally surprised that that would be something God would want to do. In fact, when the angel was talking to um, Joseph, he is reminded here in verse 22 that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. and They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This, this prophecy that the virgin will conceive and, and give birth and, it, and it'll be God with us. This prophecy actually comes in a pretty unique space. And I mentioned we'd come back to Isaiah chapter 7. And the prophecy happens when there's a king uh, who's facing an army that's trying to invade. And, of course, you know, he's in charge. He's freaking out. He wants to know how things are going to go and talks to the man of God, the Isaiah. And then here is the conversation with that. And verse 9, it says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, You will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, "Mm, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. All of a sudden, he he began to be really uncomfortable with that. And then Isaiah said, here now, you house of David. Ahaz was in the lineage of David. So is that, here now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This is where this prophecy shows up, is when the house of David, the king of the house of David, is concerned that there's a foreign king who's going to come in and invade and take over. And he says, here is the sign you're going to get. Like, what kind of sign is that? A promise is a sign, yes, that God has said, guess what? Somewhere in the future, there is going to be this miraculous birth, and it'll actually bring God with us. It'll bring the Messiah. They were already looking for the Messiah. Like, how does that bring some peace to a guy who's having some armies right at his gates? Because guess what? If those armies win, guess who's the first to be killed by the invading armies? Ahaz and his family. The house of David, the line of David gets cut off. And the promise, the sign was that, guess what? I'm not done with you. In fact, the most miraculous things that are going to happen in your family are still to come. That's the sign that you're going to be okay, that I'm not done with you. I'm not done with your family. I'm not done with your house. Sometimes the sign you need in the middle of your battle is the promise God has given you that, guess what? He's got plans for your fam- you and your family. And you, you walk in that. You walk in the promise. That's the sign you need. That if, the, if this battle looks like it's the end, well, if I've got a promise it's not the end, then it's, guess what? It's not the end. You keep moving forward with what God has promised. Here's what's wild. Is this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 happens 700 years before Mary getting freaked out with her conversation with this angel. 
700 years before that. It was a long time. Sometimes we can sit here and be thinking about the promise of Christmas and all of the miracle of that and say, that's a long time ago. This Jesus thing was a long time ago. There's been a lot of pain. There's been a lot of hurt in the last 2,000 years in humanity. There's been a lot of pain right here in the last year, two years, five years, 10 years. Maybe your whole life feels like one thing of pain. How does some, some promise, how does something that happened 2,000 years ago all of a sudden have applicable today? How can I get some hope from Mary 2,000 years later? Well, guess what? Because Mary was in your shoes 2,000 years ago, having to hold on to a 700-year-old promise. We read the scriptures, and a long time ago is a long time ago. It's all kind of mixed together in our heads. But when we put ourselves in Mary's shoes, she's asking to believe a 700-year-old promise. Joseph is asking to being asked to believe a 700-year-old promise. It's like, guess what? There's a bunch of people at this point in the lineage of David. Nobody's attacked the lineage of David because we haven't had a king. He's in the lineage of David. And he's a carpenter in Nazareth. He's not even living in the, in the birthplace of David. He's not even in Bethlehem. When it comes time for the census, he has to load Mary up and do this awkward journey to get to there. He, he's not even living where he was supposed to live. His birthright as a child of David, he is so far gone from where he should be and what he should be living. How can this promise now apply? Because God said, now. That's how it applies. That's how it applies. So many times we will discount ourselves. I'm not where I should be. I'm not living out what I think I should be living out. I don't look like the lineage of a king. And all of a sudden now a king is going to come from me. If we have to let the Holy Spirit speak what the Holy Spirit speaks. The truth is, is we can face the toughest situations when we trust that God is faithful to do what he said he would do. Getting back to Luke chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed her. Said, okay, if you say nothing's impossible, then I'm gonna say, you do it according to your word. Notice it wasn't according to the fact that I now see how it can happen. Not according to my plan. Now according to, to my point of agreement. No, according to what you said. And the only way you and I are going to be able to step into new intimidating experiences that are full of rejoicing and beauty and everything that God has built us to do is to finally live our lives in that phrase. Lord, let it be to me according to what you have to say. And then we can step from glory to glory. Then we can step into the things that God has for us. Let's look at Matthew 
just so that we see that this impossible thing does apply to us. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23 says, then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Now, wait a second, disciples. He was talking about those snotty, selfish, rich people. And all of a sudden, the disciples jumped all the way to the point that said, how can anybody be saved? <laughs> guys, 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 he's only talking about those, those rich people that look down on all us working class, regular people who get all the tax benefits and get all the perks and hook one another up with all the opportunities. He's talking about those people. He's not talking about just the normal people. The disciples saw what Jesus was saying. What's the common about the rich? Is they trust in their riches. Where do riches come from? Riches come from the talents, from, their, from their, just their grit and family connection. Historically, all riches have come from somebody's talents, their hard work, and family connection. And the disciples knew everybody trusts in their talent, their hard work, and some point of favored connection. Everybody trusts in that on some level. He's like, how can anybody get it? This applies to every person on the planet. And here is Jesus's response. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. The first place for us, the first place of impossibility we have to face is not trusting in our own talents, our own ability to grit it out and work hard, or hopefully some human connection to make things okay. We have to trust just in God. That's the first place of impossibility you and I have to face. And the truth is, is with man turning that off, Jesus knows it's impossible. But with him, spirit alive in our heart, all things are possible. Our bottom line this morning is nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.